Hello and welcome to episode 123 of Section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. This is a lot better um, day to be talking about the Blue Jays than it was last time we recorded. Absolutely it was. So we had the opening game, uh, a little a rain delay the second game, caused, which caused a doubleheader yesterday. And we finally saw the MLB debut from yours truly, Alec Manoa. And that was the obviously highlight of yesterday, despite... The second loss in the doubleheader, a lot of people, a lot of good takeaways from this series alone, and the Jays end up winning the series anyway, two out of three against the Yankees. Well, yeah, I mean, also, like, considering they came back from a being swept by the Rays, losing a series to the Red Sox, it's 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 good to get, gain some ground on the AL East, and thankfully, I mean, they're done with the East for a little bit, but, you know, it's good to get some ground on it while you could, especially considering that the standings will, I think, start to solidify going into the summer months. Yeah, this is a point where it starts to, you know, you can actually start to read into what the standings say. Because before, you know, it's it's like two months into the season. It's, you know, 40, 50 games. It doesn't really matter. But at this point, it starts to get, you know, where you can start to actually read read into what it says. So let's talk about Alec Manoa because obviously that was very exciting. Six innings pitched, two hits, zero runs, two walks, seven strikeouts. We all saw the emotion of his family visiting at Yankee Stadium, seeing him strike out the Yankees lineup. It was pretty incredible. Um, The thing that I am most grateful from this start is the fact that A, was a seven-inning doubleheader, and B, the Blue Jays barely used their bullpen at all, all day. So they had the off day built in with the postponed game on Wednesday, and then going into Thursday, they only used one inning of Jordan Romano in game one, and then 1.1 innings of... AJ Cole in game two. So that's the thing I'm most thankful of from this. Thankful to Robbie Ray, thankful to Alec Manoa for even though the, the fact that they lost the second game, they didn't stress the bullpen, which we know was a huge talking point in our last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alec Manoa, Robbie Ray, they were great. Uh, well, I mean, Robbie Ray had a bit of a tougher outing, but if you can, uh, if you can get that many innings out of a starter and especially considering you have two less innings to cover, that's perfect. Uh, I think, Alec Manoa, though, I want to talk about him. He he was very impressive. He didn't start off the greatest. I think he walked his first batter, but then he struck out. He ended up striking out seven over his six innings. Two walks, no earned runs, as you just said. He, But the thing that I found most impressive was his actual stuff. And I'm going to go out and say, when I saw his fastball, it almost reminded me of Jake Arrieta back when he was with the Cubs because that thing was moving all over the place to the point where it, it honestly kind of looked like a slider or some other type of pitch. And I think that was extremely impressive. You didn't see a lot of jitters from Alec Manoa. Now, I was watching very hesitantly because I jokingly put a $1,000 bet that he would uh, get a no-hitter. And that was kind of happening for a bit of time. But um, I was very, very impressed by him. His stuff was crazy. Uh, I mean, in the first inning alone, he forced Aaron Judge to fall to his knees and then struck him out on... I think Judge was expecting a slider, but he got a fastball. So it was kind of like he swung as Reese McGuire had the ball in his glove. So you can tell that even even a rookie is is fooling elite major league hitters. And it was extremely impressive. 
Uh, I don't know if his parents and his family realized how much they were actually on TV because it seemed as if every other pitch they were, uh, the broadcast was going over and showing them. But you know what? It was a great moment. Uh, it was just, it's fun to see more prospects come up. And I think that this is definitely, this is the next piece of the Blue Jays rotation. We talk about how it's been so injured, how they had two starters at one point in the season. Now I think they have four or five legitimate starters and, when you look at it with Thomas Hatch hopefully coming back soon, Nate Pearson had a bit of a rough outing a couple days ago or yesterday, but hopefully he comes up soon. And this rotation, I think, looks really solidified. And considering that a lot of these guys are young, it's it's very exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. And Alec Manoa, I mean, this is exactly what we were all anticipating. And he dominated, you know, all of us. And all of a sudden, too, it feels like, you know, for, I guess, a little bit, it kind of just took us away for a bit, maybe saying how much better this rotation actually looks now as much as it's only been one start and of course he's got a long way to go as well but what a debut and this is exactly what was anticipated and a lot of us I think we pretty much all had a similar prediction to his pitching line and a lot of us were right in certain areas and a lot of us I guess were um, wrong in a good way because a lot of us had it I believe it was so me and Jacob or Jacob and I had six hits and Mark had five he ended up giving up two hits and of course the earned runs were zero uh Mark and I had one earned run, Jacob had two, and then uh, for the walks, it was around the same, but strikeouts as well, we were all kind of on point with that, so, you know, it was pretty, um, it went pretty good as we pictured it, or as we planned it beforehand, but yeah, what a debut, he was fired up, his parents were fired up, and um, it was just, it was really good to see him fool the Yankees lineup, because that's exactly what we were all looking for, and it was, like I just mentioned, it was the per- probably one of the most perfect ways it could have ever gotten to start that off in that doubleheader. And maybe that doubleheader did help him a little bit. Mark, I know you mentioned that of why you glad, you thought it was glad it was a doubleheader. And I, I actually kind of agree. I, I agree with that to a certain extent because of the reason, obviously, the seven-inning game and the bullpen usage as well was really low yesterday, which was a very good uh, sign. And it was kind of like a sigh of relief because for Manoa, you weren't anticipating the bullpen to be used until after the fifth, sixth inning uh, on a regular game. And that all went as planned for a doubleheader, but of course the seventh inning game uh, allowed the Jays to use less relievers, and that got them uh, through yesterday's game anyway. And of course through the second game as well, they didn't use as many relievers as yesterday. So yesterday was uh, a successful split with the doubleheader. They take two out of three from the Yankees. They're back to uh, one game over 500, and now they enter another three-game series to end off a short road trip against Cleveland. And again, this could go pretty good for the Jays. I mean... Obviously, it was it's been a better three games, and if all goes well with this, then you're heading back to, or you're heading to Buffalo now on a more positive note and another step forward. So that's why I'm um, pretty relieved from this three game series that, that they just took on uh, with the Yankees. Yeah, and just to put the bullpen into numbers over the entire series over four days, um, or excuse me, three days, they had only four point two innings out of the bullpen. That was Jordan Romano, AJ Cole. And then the two guys coming out in Tuesday's game. So that's like that that's the amount of innings that the Blue Jays were getting from their bullpen in one game in the series against Tampa. So it was a huge relief for the bullpen to get this rest, to get the long starts by the starters. I mean, in game one, we saw Steven Matz go six point two innings, only give up one run, ten strikeouts for him, and no walks in that outing. And then of course Manoa and Ray. Um should Ray have been taken out of the game earlier? I, I know they, you know, were trying to put more 
stress and workload on the pitchers and on the starters for the Blue Jays, but he did give up those runs. He gave up another run um, in that fifth inning before he was removed from the game. Should the Blue Jays have taken him out earlier and maybe kept them in the game and given them more of a shot, especially, you know, a one-run deficit is a lot easier to come back from, from a two-run deficit. Should Charlie Montoyo have removed Robbie Ray earlier? I don't actually think so because, like, here's the thing. Robbie Ray has been a solidified starter, and he's been a cornerstone of this rotation pretty much since he came back. I think he missed one start to begin the season, and he's been fantastic since then. Obviously, he had that tough game against the Royals where he walked six, but then he's, I think he's walked probably six since then, four yesterday, but I think like two other than that. But point is, is Robbie Ray has been, has been very good for the Blue Jays and he's been very reliable. His stuff wasn't as good yesterday, but I still would have given him the chance because I think he's earned it this season just to, you know what? Hey, if you have any more juice left in the tank, then go for it. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Uh, If, if it was somebody else, like say, worst case it was Alec Manoa who was getting into a bit of trouble yes I would have taken him out because there's a bit of unproven talent there and you just you want to see what you really have but the Blue Jays know what they have out of Robbie Ray and I think I think they trusted that they could at least come back obviously they didn't they got three runs off of a Bo Bichette home run but th- that was it so I I don't know if I would have necessarily done it any differently it just honestly you win some you lose some Robbie Ray was he was okay wasn't great but I still given his track record this season I still would have given him uh, a little bit more of a chance yeah uh, I agree with you Jacob I just I don't know how big of a difference it would have made just because of the bullpen I guess where it currently stands but yeah I for all those reasons I agree with you I think he earned that opportunity to try and get out of the fourth inning or sorry get out of the fifth inning and he ended up obviously four and two-thirds four earned runs so not he wasn't as sharp but he still I think did all right as much as uh, he got the loss yesterday but yeah you know what second game of the doubleheader as well I'm just happy the Jays have managed to split it with them and of course they took the series from the Yankees but yeah um, I don't know I just I never really thought about it too much of the Jays going to the bullpen earlier than anticipated or maybe earlier than some people wanted but yeah for those reasons uh, of the fact that he was just have has had a solid year all around uh, I was happy that they tried to get him out of the the fifth inning and we've seen this all year from or not all year but pretty much through I guess most of May from this pitching staff is that they're trying to push these starters to go as deep as they can and why and it hasn't changed and it didn't change yesterday with Robbie Ray so that's why it makes sense for me as well to why they kept do they kept doing that but yeah, I'm, I wasn't anticipating anything earlier than unless they like when Robbie Ray was pulled. I think it was the right time, and I was happy that he stayed as long in as long as he did. And if they went to the bullpen earlier, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. I know they went to AJ Cole for an inning and a third, but I mean, what else would would have been part of their game plan if they decided to go to the bullpen earlier? That's another question. But yeah, Robbie Ray, I didn't anticipate him getting or him being pulled earlier than what he did. Well, also he had. Uh, he, he had 80 pitches when he came out so I think say you pull him a couple a couple batters before that's just I think you could have gotten at least a couple more innings or at least an inning out of him so th- that's why I mean he only 47 strikes so not not a great ratio there but point is is I think you still need to get as much as you can out of one of your top starters yeah that's the exact point I was going to make you're only 80 pitches Keep him in, I, and especially because that fifth inning, it wasn't a bad inning for him. It's not like he was getting, like, walking guys all over the place, getting 
um, a lot of hits and and stuff like that and hard contact. No, like he the first batter Tyler Wade he made a throwing error over to first base. Um, or, or excuse me, fielding error, um, and that let Tyler Wade get on, who ended up scoring, but then he struck out DJ LeMayhew. He does walk Labor Torres, um, but it's a wild pitch that gets Tyler Wade to third, and then a sack fly that gets him home. So, like, you know, if he gets the first out of that inning instead of making a fielding error, the Blue Jays are out of that inning with the score still 4-3. to three. So, no, I, I think keeping Robbie Ray in there is fine, and especially because of his... 80 pitches that he was at at that point or less than that at the start of the inning definitely keep him in that situation um let's talk a little bit about the offense number one thing I want to talk about is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. um talked about him endlessly but I mean he is right now he's tied for the major league lead in home runs he used to lead it before you know the Blue Jays had a postponed game Wednesday and then two less innings to play or four less innings total to play on Thursday. Now he's tied for the major league lead in home runs, but man, like this kid is ridiculous. The fact that he is coming out there and not only is he hitting home runs, but he also is leading the league in fan graphs war. He's leading the league in OPS. He's leading the league in times on base. It's insane what he's done this year, and we all know it, but I still can't believe day in and day out everything that he manages to do. It seems like every single at-bat he's getting on base or he's doing something productive. It's just, it's insane. Well, yeah, I mean, average still, right now it's at 333. On base percentage, it's almost at 450. Slugging's over 660. OPS is over 1100. Like, this guy is, he's ridiculously crazy, and... The, the one thing that I think is impressive to me is in less than two months, he's at 41 RBIs. And you go back to the the 2015 days when the Blue Jays had those three sluggers in the middle of their lineup. All three of them, Bautista, Donaldson, and uh, Encarnacion, had around 100 RBIs at the end of the season. And Vladi is almost at half of that with only, I think, a third of the season done. So that's extremely impressive. And also, I've seen a lot of people on... Instagram and Twitter and whatnot say that this guy is actually going to get some MVP considerations, which, you know what, that would be a pretty interesting thing. Come back from a couple of rough outings or rough uh, seasons to start your career, you come back from that, and you're just an absolute monster. So for Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he has, he's been everything the Blue Jays have hoped, everything that they've wanted, and I'm just, I, see, the, the funny thing with me is I'm, I'm continuously impressed, but I keep saying to myself, well, it's still early, but then I realize, hold on, it's it's two months into the season. Like, th- I think this guy is for real. I don't think we can say we still need to see what Vladdy's about. No, he. This is, I think, this is what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is. He's he's a power hitter. He is going to get on base. He's going to you know he's going to help his teammates. He's going to score runs. He's going to drive in runs. And it's just it's one of those things where I'm supposed to kind of level off and not be as surprised because it's so consistent. But when you think about how consistent it is, that's just even more impressive. So I, you know what, good for him. And it's, it's helping the team. And it's a, it's a really, it's really making this lineup deeper. And I think that's the best part about it. Yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time where you've had somebody on this team, I guess, heading into June, not just after one month with an OPS 
over 1100. It, it is insane the trajectory he's on right now, and it's maintained. It's I mean, you know, he's had a few cold spells, and it hasn't even been cold spells. He's gone what 0 for four, 0 for five, and then the next day he's hitting home runs again anyway. So I mean, it's just been a really, really impressive start for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Obviously, an All Star candidate. You want to look maybe a little bit for uh, future or towards the future of the season. And a lot of people have already saying, I mean, obviously on this pace, he's a legitimate candidate for you-know-what at the end of the year. And I know it's still early for that, but as we're heading into almost uh, the halfway part of the season, we're past a quarter, he hasn't stopped. And I mean, right now he's given no signs that it is going to stop. He looks uh, confident at the plate, and as Jacob just mentioned in our text, he's on pace for 52 home runs. That is insane uh, for somebody right now at, at the end of at the end of May. Home runs, 16 RBIs, 41 RBIs. Jacob, you mentioned the RBIs just now. And he's leading this offense to what, what's been going on all year without George Springer. He's the, guy, he's the guy that's been stepping up. And they're still missing that piece. So obviously other people in the lineup are helping. But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has been the story all year. He continues to be the story. He had a good se- believe he had a decent series anyway uh, this past series with the Yankees. And... Um, you know, heading into June, I mean, what I'm, I mean, I would ask you guys, what are you guys expecting? But at this point, there's not even a point in asking that question anymore because it's been the same thing since April and May, and uh, there's been no signs of slowing down. I don't know why anyone w- would believe that at the point if he would slow down. I mean, is there a chance he still hits better? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. But either way, um, what a season for him, and this is the season he obviously needed for everyone to finally kind of relax in terms of. All of the negativity towards him being overrated, all of this. We, we know all of the comments that we've had over the past couple of years with him. And it's just been remarkable, to say the least, of what he's done this year and what he will continue to do as we head into June. And I would say that he's going to start slumping. Like Exactly. Ordinarily, looking at a guy like this, you don't think he's going to continue this pace for an entire season. But we've kind of already seen what he's like when he's slumping this year. Like, he went, what, 0 for 9? And that was it. <laughs> like, if that's his worst this season, I mean, it's ridiculous. This kid is ridiculous. And I just want to read through some of the re- leaderboards because it it boggles my mind. Like, this is going by baseball reference war, so he's not quite at the top like he is in Fangraph's war. But he's seventh among all players in war. He is um, third among position players, first in offensive war. He is in batting average. He's fifth in on-base percentage. He's second in slugging. He's second in OPS. He's first in games played. He is not on the leaderboard, but he's played all the games the Blue Jays have played. Um, It's just ridiculous. Runs scored, he's fourth. Hits, he's fifth. Total bases, he's first. The list goes on and on. Home runs, of course, tied for first. Runs batted in, he's tied for third. Um, Walks, he's tied for eighth. To have someone in the top 10 for all these different stats, it's just incredible. And another guy I want to talk about, two other guys I want to talk about offensively, is Marcus Simeon and Bo And we saw them go back-to-back in the first game of yesterday's doubleheader, and that was with the only runs that the Blue Jays scored. But both of those guys, Simeon has been producing for a while. He's staying hot. But Bo Bichette, I think we know this is someone who runs very hot and pretty cold. But with the two home runs yesterday in the doubleheader and both ends of the doubleheader, we could be seeing him heat up a little bit. And we already know how good this offense is and how good it can be. But adding Bo Bichette at his you know peak hot rate could make this lineup just that much deeper. 
Yeah, Bo Bichette, uh, he is actually really starting to come around. And I think it was uh, before the game, there was like an interview with him where he said he's not really felt the best all season. So even he's, I think, still a little disappointed with himself. And he's still hitting above average, above major league average. And that is just... To see yeah, that, he's got a 123 OPS yeah, plus. Like to, to see a guy still want better, I think that just shows just how much that this Blue Jays team and is really encouraging everybody to do better, but also him himself. He's a lot of credit to Bo Bichette. He's a very talented player. Uh, but him, you know, he started off a little bit slow. And when I say started off slow, I'm talking about like the, the first couple games of the season. But consistently, he's been around... 300 he was above 300 for a few times earlier on in the season but now he's up at 270 or 272 actually slugging 495 on base percentage is over 300 so for him he's getting on base he's a typical top of the order guy but he's also hitting home runs 11 home runs I mentioned a couple I think it was probably a month ago he's at like a 42 home run pace I'm not sure how actually I think that might still be accurate just looking at his games played so he like this is I think another George Springer at the top of your lineup where you have a guy that can get on base but you also have a guy that could hit for power and he's gonna play every day and honestly like if I'm Cleveland I know that's who the Blue Jays are playing right now I am I'm nervous to face this team honestly like I I don't want to necessarily sound like a a cocky fan but this offense is just it's crazy and if it's not Vladdy, it's it's Bo. If it's not Bo, it's it's George Springer when he comes back. And like this lineup, there's just there's so many guys that you that you could trust to get you out. And even the guys that kind of that weren't doing as well, or or we kind of had different projections for them. Randall Gritchick came back and he's been great all season long. And if you're Charlie Montoyo, yes, the 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 bullpen's been a nightmare to manage. The rotation's been tough with injuries, but you're counting your lucky stars and you're really thanking the baseball gods that this, this offense has just been so good for you. And it's because of all these individual performances that it gels together to create one lethal offense. And I can't say enough about, about Bo Bichette. I, the one thing that's tough is I don't know whose Jersey to get. I don't know if it's him or Vladdy or, or Springer because there's just, there's so (laughs) many good players, but point is, is I'm happy with this offense and, I'm just I'm in awe every day watching these guys because they're so young too. Like Bo Bichette, I think has played just over 162 games or something like that off the top of my head. Like he's not played a lot, but he's already such a mature hitter, and it, it's just it's encouraging, and I'm happy about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just it's such an exciting lineup, and uh, for Marcus Semyon, I mean, we we go back to the days maybe. I guess mid middle of April to the end of April where everyone was freaking out of him at the top of the lineup, you know, how this and that, he's not hitting well, this and that. And then of course the Jays make the change, they drop him to the middle of the order. I know he's leading off right now again, but that's obviously because he's hitting well. And either way, the best thing that happened to him was probably that drop in the lineup. And all of a sudden he began to heat up. And this contract or this one year deal that the Jays have him on is starting to look like a little bit of a steal based on what we saw based off of his results in 2019 where he was a finalist for the AL MVP and uh, his down year in 2020, but the recovery in 2021, he's putting up very impressive numbers, and that's why it looks like a steal, and the Jays have him right now leading off, and when George Springer's back, he'd probably 
I would say maybe go back down to the middle of the order. I wouldn't be surprised he stays at the top, but either way, the Jays can get flexible with that. But yeah, I mean, his OPS is 900, and it's insane just because of the start he did have. And, you know, he's getting on base, he's hitting home runs. And like Jacob, you said, if it's not Bo, it's him. And a lot of guys are stepping up, and that just shows how deep this lineup can be. And uh, for Bo Bichette as well, you know, he's he's definitely been a little bit of a streaky hitter this year, maybe a little bit more than what we were used to in 2020. And I know in 2019, he obviously didn't play too long, a little bit, or for a good half of the season when he was called up. But I just feel like this is the year that he was maybe the most streaky out of all. But either way, maybe he still has improvements to make, and maybe he could be better than what he has been. But the results still show that he's had a really good year either way. So that's why I'm pretty relieved from that. And I mean, if he's if he's hitting like that now and if he gets on a really good hot streak where he's not as streaky as he has been this year there's definitely room for improvement for those numbers which makes this lineup very scary and another guy that I wanted to bring up it just feels like we haven't spoken about him as much this year and maybe that's because he's kind of under the shadow of Guerrero, Semyon, Bichette was Teoscar Hernandez I mean what a comeback that he has made ever since coming back from the COVID IO we know that he kind of had that slow week but of course it was a week so I mean pretty empty numbers he comes back from the COVID IL and ever since then he has been on fire he's another guy with an 870 OPS and uh, a batting average over 300 that's impressive a slugging percentage over 500 this guy was a key part to the lineup last year and maybe because of all these additions and all uh, you know, the breakout from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and I guess Marcus Semyon coming over. He's been a little bit undershadowed a bit, but I don't think he cares too much. I mean, obviously it takes pressure off of him. And that's the one guy. He's been solid this year in the cleanup spot. And uh, I'm I'm sure he'll continue to play well. But that's another trade where you look back now when the Jays got uh, Teoscar Hernandez. And of course, he did have a little bit of a slow 2019. And a lot of people were wondering if this trade was really going to pan out. And I mean, based off last year and this year, this trade definitely almost seemed like it was almost a steal, but uh, what what a deal that the Jays did make for Teoscar Hernandez, and he's just somebody that I wanted to, to shout out, because I feel like we haven't spoken about him as much, but I mean, that's not our fault, but either way, just because of how deep this lineup is, he's another one that has been a very key part to this offense, but yeah, Guerrero, Bichette, Bo, uh, Semyon, and of course, when Springer's back, I mean, there's this team's only going to get better, and I mean, obviously, we're coming off one of the worst week of the season last week. Uh, this is why this kind of, this series against New York was kind of a little bit of a everyone calming down a little bit. And then, of course, hopefully it can stay that way throughout the weekend. Of course, we don't really know. But either way, Cleveland's also had a decent start to the year based on where they sit currently in the AL Central. I believe they are first. And if they're not in first, they're, they're in second. I know they're at the top of the AL Central as of now. So that's why it'll definitely be a tough series this weekend. But it's also going to be a good one. And if the Jays can come back to Buffalo, maybe winning another series against Cleveland, uh, that's going to be an absolute win. And heading into uh, Buffalo with a good pace of momentum is going to be very important for them as they try and make that run now after a bad week last week. Yeah, and and just go back to Marcus Simeon. He is sixth in all of baseball in F4. So to have two guys in in the top six in baseball, and those are your one and three hitters, I mean, that's remarkable. And then on Teoscar Hernandez, I don't think we're talking as much about him just because he hasn't been doing this for as long. I don't think because, you know, we mentioned he did have the rough April. He only played, I think it was eight games in April because he was hit with COVID and 
he had a family member who had COVID. He got COVID. So I think that's why we're not talking about him as much. But, I mean, it's crazy. Like, in eight games in April, he had a two thirty five batting average. Same on-base percentage because he didn't walk at all. And then he has an OPS of six forty seven. And then you go to May, and he has a batting average of three forty on base of four oh seven, uh, slugging of five thirty six, and OPS of nine forty three. So it's just crazy how much he has turned it around. And one thing I want to ask you guys about: obviously, we know the Blue Jays are done in Dunedin. The series against the Rays was the last series there, and unfortunately, it didn't go the way the Blue Jays wanted it to go. Of course, but that was the last series there. Now they're moving to Buffalo. You look at some of the home and away splits for these guys, like Teoscar Hernandez, just talking about him. At home, he has a 533 slugging, away, 479. You look at Bo Bichette, Bo Bichette is one of the most extreme um, home and away splits of any Blue Jays, but he has an OPS of 930 in home games and an OPS of 719 on the road. And then you go to Vladdy as well, who has extreme splits the same way. You have a home OPS of 1.418. 1.418 and then an away OPS of 0.8854. So we're seeing big differences in terms of home OPS and away OPS. And the offense that the Blue Jays have been putting up in Dunedin is, of course, a lot higher than it has been on the road. And a lot of people are saying it's practically Coors Field to be playing at, just the way the wind carries balls out of there, the way offense, um, offensive productions for both teams when they play there is a lot higher. Now that they're moving to Buffalo, is it a concern that the offense might be on the a downward trend a little bit? I think we have to see that before we get concerned, to be completely honest, because the offense wasn't bad last season in Dun- or in Buffalo, and it's not been terrible this season also. So I would say we have to wait a little bit to, to really get, uh, get a grip for, on what the offense looks like in in uh, Buffalo but also I think there's a bit of a extra motivation there because there's fans now in in Buffalo whether you're vaccinated or not like you there's obviously restrictions but there are fans able to go into the game and that's going to be very exciting so if I'm any of these players who's who uh, the stats would say perform better at home that's even more of a of a reason to do a little bit better so for me I'm just I'm optimistic I think I'm not necessarily willing to say there were they will regress I mean obviously over a full season guys I think will regress from over a 300 average but I don't know if we can necessarily say that that's the case yet I I think all the projections we have for the players are positive until they start to to regress because with with as you just mentioned Mark all the stats prove that these guys are usually better at home now they're you know they're going to the home that they they knew last year they're going to be fans there. They're uh, they're over five hundred. They're whole, I mean, it's early on, or relatively early on into the season. But you're entering the the summer in a playoff race. So for me, if I'm any of these players, I'm saying, hey, this is this is a way to improve and really get not not necessarily run away with the playoff position and and you know absolutely destroy the baseball. But it's a way to say, let's at least do the best that we can with these circumstances. And that's I think. The most impressive part to me is this team's really, uh, they're banding together, I think. But yeah, I'm I'm not necessarily willing to say that the, the offense will regress. I think it'll either stay the same or it'll get better just considering the circumstances. 
And yeah, to your point, Jacob, they're actually expanding capacity at Taylor Field once again. I think it's going to be around 60%. So hopefully that feels more comfortable for the uh, for the Jays. They can kind of feel more comfortable playing at home because we know, obviously, when they were in Dunedin, it wasn't exactly the case. And a lot of the players are kind of happy to get out of there as much as they were hitting the ball well. But yeah, going back to Buffalo, Mark, I... Um, there's a reason why I, I'm not concerned, and I was man, I managed to pull up the splits from last year when they were in Buffalo, and a lot of these guys did end up hitting well in Buffalo, and uh, one guy in particular who hasn't obviously played that well this year, and somebody who was really well in, or did really good in Buffalo, maybe this can kind of help him was Rowdy Telez. I think we've mentioned it before, but in uh, ten home games at Buffalo last year, he had an OPS over 1,100. I know the games are small, but either way, that was obviously his shortened season. Yes, or last year, which is why I'll still read them. So, uh, Rowdy Telez, OPS over um, 1,100. Bo Bichette, OPS over 900. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as much as he was up and down last year, he also had a really good OPS. It was at 945. Danny Jansen also had a good OPS. Randall Grichik. So, a lot of these guys were um, playing really well in Buffalo last year. Bo Bichette, uh, sorry, uh, Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez, Gurriel, all these guys managed to hit the ball well in Buffalo. So, that maybe as long as they can translate their 2020 performance to how they did uh, this year in terms of where they were in Dunedin. That's why I'm not too uh, concerned. And I think that this is definitely um, an opportunity for them to continue to hit the ball well. And if maybe they hit it better. And of course, you get the advantage of now more of a home atmosphere in Buffalo. So that's why I'm not too concerned. But of course, we all have to believe it when we see it, which goes to your point, Jacob. But based off these splits from last year, I've definitely. it's not like uh, they were horrible, and this is why I'm kind of showing some optimism for that move to Buffalo now. But of course, you never know, right? It could be empty numbers comparing last year to this year, and I completely understand that people disagree with that or don't even really want to look at 2020 numbers. And I guess there's definitely a chance that it just doesn't translate to what it was last year. And I mean, obviously none of us know, but based off of those splits, I'm going to be optimistic for it, and especially for someone like George Springer, who's also going to be hitting in 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 Salem Field, I'm not concerned at all. And um, as of now, I think that they're going to still manage to hit well in Buffalo for sure. Yeah, and I mean, like as much as it might hurt the hitters, if it does, to your point, Bryson, it doesn't seem like it will. They had good offensive numbers there last year. It's going to help the pitchers as well. Like every home field disadvantage for one side of the ball is a home field advantage for the other. And I think we saw that in TD Ballpark in Dunedin. It seemed like any ball hit into the air, got caught in that jet stream, and it went out no matter what what part of the ballpark it was to, what inning it was, what time of day, how hard it was hit. It seemed like everything in the air would just float over that wall. And that obviously hurt the pitchers. How many games? Like the last game that we saw in Dunedin, 14-8 to eight for the Rays. Like that's the type of offensive production that hurts the pitching. If that goes down in Buffalo, it's going to help the pitching. It might hurt the offense, but it's going to help the pitching. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about it. And, you know, to the numbers that you just brought up, Bryson, doesn't seem like it'll be a big deal. All right. Well, that will wrap up our podcast there. Um, thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. It was a lot more cheerful than our last episode because, of course, Blue Jays going two and three. Hopefully, they can keep it up and continue this brief hot streak in the series in Cleveland and then after that as we head into June but until then you can follow us on social media at section 138 pod we're on Instagram and Twitter you can support our Patreon at patreon.com slash section 138 pod you can find us on YouTube and watch all our episodes and see the occasional live stream there and then lastly you can just rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts help spread the word about what we're doing here all right 
Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.